him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this passage that has been preserved through time. Thank you for the level of Romans with its full depth, challenging capacity. And thank you for this morning where we get to reflect on it one more time. We ask this, that your spirit challenge us and lead us to a new place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank Patty for reading uh, this passage of Romans one more time to us this morning. And if you had the chance to read the Daily Walk this week, or maybe you listened to the podcast, uh, you will maybe remember this. That if you take all of Romans chapters 5 to 8, this is the last section that we're going to be preaching through in Romans until we get to the end of Romans chapter 8 in September here, you'll arrive and realize that Romans 5 to 8 is summarized by the passage that Patty just read. Romans 5 to 8, he kind of like squeezes it and compresses it all the way down in those 11 verses. And then, if that's not enough, he kind of like crushes verses 1 to 11 and he just like really pushes it all together and he says, can I push it all together into those two verses, verses 1 to 2. Another way of kind of describing this is that uh, Paul does this old trick where he says, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them what you're going to tell them, which is, of course, very exciting, right? Everybody likes that kind of story, right? Uh, when you hear it again and again and again and again. And you would think when you're reading a passage of scripture like this, or when you're reading Romans, sometimes you get the impression, especially when we were reading about the circumcision stuff, uh, which we had done for quite a while, you thought, oh my goodness, does he have anything else to say? Does Paul have any other thing that he wants to share? In fact, is he really gonna just repeat this stuff? Well, here's the secret. If Paddy Chamberlain, did not practice reading the spoken word, if Paddy Chamberlain did not understand the depth of what Paul was saying, if Paddy Chamberlain did not even grasp the joy and the pain and the exhilaration, all that she would be doing is literally just coming over here and making sure that she pronounces words correctly. That's all she would be doing. And you know, anybody can do that. Anybody can get up here and just make sure we put a sentence together. 
But what Patty did is that she studied it every day. She thought about what Paul is trying to say so that the emphasis inside the spoken word came through. I think sometimes when we think about the spoken word, we, we don't understand sometimes that there are points inside here that are actually really important. True preparation of the spoken word requires that you understand, understand what is being said and what is at stake, right? What is being said and what is at stake? When somebody, when you're in love for the very first time and you ask somebody, you know, would you like to, I don't know, get... Uh, a coffee. Jonah, my son, um, I didn't get permission from him for this, so I'll deal with this afterwards. Uh, he got a phone call this week, um, and uh, the phone call was this from this telephone number. It's actually, I think I have it on my phone. Um, it was 303, because uh, I Googled it on white pages, premium, right? Because it was one of these really weird calls. And um, it's uh, this telephone number where the person said, and then Jonah put it on speakerphone, because it was kind of fun. Uh, the person said, Hey, why are you not here? It was a girl. Why are you not here? I thought we were meeting at Starbucks uh, for, for a drink and coffee. And, and then Jonah's like, what, what? We're not, we're not meeting at Starbucks. He said, what kind of boyfriend are you? And Jonah's like, uh, not me. And he says, I told you we were meeting here. I had just, and, and so then he actually went a little bit further. I told him, you know what, go have some fun with it. So uh, he did, he called her back, said that his dad was a police officer. She said her dad's a police officer, then he hung up. So um, it, it, it got kind of crazy, right? It, it got kind of crazy, but uh, we, you know, <laughs> illustrations ourselves uh, that the words really matter. <laughs> If you know what's behind the words, clearly this girl was having fun calling random people and playing this joke on people and saying, because you don't go to Starbucks to get a drink, unless, I don't know, maybe they sell alcohol there. I thought they don't sell coffee, but you know, maybe it's changed. Uh, so here we go. What is being said, what is at stake, words really matter inside there. When I marry couples, um, I always give them the option to write their vows, which is very, very popular in this country, very popular in this country. There is, of course, buried deep within me, oh, so deep within me, this old-fashioned thing inside me, one that I love, and I, I, I often start, even with a cu any couple, and I say to them, sure, you can write your own vows, but let me, let me just show you the traditional vows. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, you may like the traditional vowels, and then you can, of course, add your own vowels, which are really nice, of course, you know, really beautiful. beautiful. But let me just show you the traditional vowels. So when I do, they, they do create their vowels, and they are very creative with their vowels, and, and I show them vowels. And here's a, a little snippet of the vowels that couples often struggle with the traditional vowels because they don't understand what's at stake. They don't understand the words. Here's what the vows say. The bride says this, I, the bride, take thee, the groom, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse. We understand, we who are married understand this, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Those of us who've been through that understand this, to love and to cherish and to obey. Hmm? Till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and dare to I plight thee my troth. Huh? 
And it's at this point where uh, most couples are like, you know, I think I could edit that. And what do you think that most couples will edit? They will remove, obey. They're like, oh, forget that. <laughs> obey my husband. <laughs> what a stupid idea that is. And politely, my trough. What's a trough? Is that like animal feeding trough? I have no idea what a trough is. And I mean, they could use Google, um, but that would be that would require keyboards and. Siri doesn't always do this. But if they understood that plight thee my troth basically means this, that I will forever be faithful to you and you only. That's all it means. It's just old English for being faithful, not having an affair, not looking at anyone else. I give you my all. Or if they understood that the counter vows that the husband has to say from the 15th century all the way back to the wife, is so deep that today, we would actually say that they actually gave more away than they do today, that the man actually says, I give you all. I mean, the law today, when you look at divorce, women actually have a worse off deal than they did in the 15th century, if you look at the vows. They don't understand that inside, embedded inside, what God was trying to do and what the church was trying to do back then has so much depth inside there. If you think about the words, if you start to understand the depth behind it, maybe you'll start to understand the beauty behind it. So they miss the beauty and they miss the words because they read it so quickly and they impose all their ideas about it. I think when we read this text, we do the same as well. You read it and you think, Paul, oh, you summarize it, you compress it, you build it together, you repeat it, repeat, 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 repeat. I, I don't know, Paul. Okay, Jesus loves me, this I know, I'm done. But do you understand where Paul was, what he experienced, what it means to him, and where he is now, and what it means for us? And until you understand this, when you grasp this, then you will be able to declare with me as well, God, you're so good. And that's what he wants to say. But he wants you to arrive at this point. He doesn't want to just say it. He wants you to go on this journey with him so that you arrive at the point where you too say, God, you're so good. And because of this, we're called to a new life. So I want you to remember these two things. Because, God, you're so good, we have a new life. And this new life calls us to be peacemakers and storytellers peacemakers and storytellers. That's what we're gonna look at today, peacemakers and storytellers. You can write that down in your worship guide, you can write it down on a connect card, you can write it down on your phones, you can write it down on a piece of paper, you can memorize it and try to pretend that you can remember it. I have to write everything down now. I don't know if you've ever had this moment, I, I have this thing where my brain, when I, I'm going to sleep at night, I have all these ideas that hit my brain just before I'm about to hit, go to bed and I'm, oh, that's a great idea, and I will remember that tomorrow morning. If I do not write that down, that great idea never returns. So what ends up happening as I'm about to fall into the deepest, most beautiful sleep, I wake up. <laughs> I grab my phone and I write down the idea, and then I'm like, now I'm awake. <sighs> I'll have to wait again. And as I'm about to fall asleep, another great idea comes up. It's an evil cycle, but I have lots of great ideas. All right, so peacemakers and storytellers. Question number one, inside your worship guide, so you can open up your worship guide, and these are the questions inside here. Question number one, are you living a life of peace with God? Are you living a life of peace with God? Before you answer yes or no, 
I would like you just to take a moment in this question. I'm not asking you if you have become a peacemaker yet. I'm not asking you if you have made peace with God. I'm not even asking you if there's something holding you back from being at peace with God. I'm asking you if you understand this. To live a life is to accept the life. You understand that sentence? To live a life is to accept the life. There's so many people in life who are dissatisfied with their life. I know I have some friends of mine, right, uh, Becky and I, that, that are just, they buy things all the time. They buy and return, buy and return, buy and return. They, they're back in England and they got banned. I think we only have two Costco's in the whole country. Um, at least they did a, a while ago. They got banned from Costco, right? Because they were buying and returning to Costco. They'd buy it, they wouldn't even use it. They'd just buy it. Like, oh, that was good. And then they'd like, mm, don't want it, return it. And they spent so much time buying and returning it. Costco said, you know what? You don't need to come back here anymore. We're kind of done. But then, so then they go to other stores and they've been serially banned from so many shops because they're just, they're just addicted to just something new all the time. They're just dissatisfied. They've got to go look for something new all the time because they've taken it too far. To live a life is to accept the life. This is very difficult because we're always grasping for something else. And God is saying through the words of Paul here, if you can get to the place where you actually start to understand what peace with God looks like, you can start to accept some of your life. I have six uh, youth interns this summer that I'm working with, and they are amazing, bright leaders of our church today, between the ages of 14 to 17. And I say leaders of our church because they're not leaders of the future, they're leaders right now. Um, I, uh, I asked them to write at the end of every single week that they work here a 500-word essay uh, as a reflection paper on this experience, which of course they love to do. Who doesn't like to write a 500-word essay at the end of every week, right? And I have six questions, so, you know, it's a bit easier if you've got six questions, you know, that's good. So here are the six questions I asked them. I said this to them. Number one, which of my values has the last six weeks been challenged or encouraged the most and why? And it's great fun to listen to them talk about the values that have been challenged, uh, you know, the, the things that they feel that they're growing in, in work and life. And then number two, what are the two or three skill sets that they are developing or being developed this week that they could apply to school, family or life? And practically seeking these skill sets, they're learning that what they learn at work they actually can apply to different areas of their life. They can apply at home, they can apply at school, they can become more adaptable to what they're doing. Number three, what is one thing you could change in the internship? Oh, this is not a short area for them. What, what's one thing for next summer that you could make the internship better? Oh, this is not hard at all. They have all sorts of suggestions. Pastor Jaffer, I think you could do this better. I think you could do that. I usually try to skip that section a lot. Uh, and no, I don't. I read it very carefully. And we're going to compile all this together in a report, and I will edit that section very carefully. Uh, they're very good ideas, unfortunately, very good ideas. And then number four, faith development. What happened with your relationship with Jesus this week? This was exhilarating to me. I mean, honestly, they're just their frankness, their honesty, their desire to know Jesus. Every day, they listen to the Daily Walk, the podcast. Then they read the live purpose section, which is for their age group. Then they answer the recalibrate question. But then uh, we also delve into a deeper question occasionally, uh, the way that an Apostle Paul will challenge you. And it's, you can ask them about this experience themselves if they feel 
candid enough and they feel they want to share that with you and Xander and Sydney and Cody, Carlos and Jonah and Luke. And it's been fantastic to see them be so honest. It's been fantastic to see them reveal about where they are with God and what they want to be with God. And the truth is that they have tremendous potential about what God has called them to be from here to there. And then faith engagement. Which ministry would they create? What would they want to belong to and develop at the church? And because they're involved in ministry already, they're already dreaming about new ministries. In fact, some of them are volunteering since seven o'clock this morning. They've been here helping increase the, the worship guys and getting stuff. And this, Cody's up there working up there, and Jonah's up there on the camera, and so it's great to be able to see stuff that's going on. Then, this is number six, the last one. If you had unlimited resources, all right, and this is a, my, my litmus test, and you can ask this of yourself. If you have unlimited resources, finances, staff, time, what would be your vision for the church to make it more relevant and why? Um, you know, this is the reason why this is a litmus test, because I've actually asked people this, hey, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with that million dollars? And it's interesting to see some people like, oh, I don't know. Really? You don't know? You don't know what you do with a million dollars? You actually need to go think about it? You don't, you don't have any idea what you could do today, in the next 30 seconds, if God dropped a million dollars off right now, which you could turn around to, this is the difference between creating vision instantly about what God has been laying in your heart because you're driving something and thinking of something all the time. They have great ideas. They're like constantly dreaming some amazing things. And I, I tell you, we're going to have to take all of these to the vision board and, and elders board as well. Now, every Tuesday, as you know, and I've mentioned this before, thanks to Jackie Hayes, uh, one of our elders, we, we prepare a lunch and a Bible study that we meet inside our community room here, and uh, where we meet with the people who mainly retired, uh, and we gather together to study the Word of God that we're going to be preaching on Sabbath. So, a couple of weeks ago, the interns joined us. And the reason we joined is because I want to create intergenerational ministry and connections here at church. So these five of them, one of them was sick, five of them joined us, and uh, we, we got into this conversation, and they got to learn about the names of the people, they got to hear the stories of the people. The next day, I took them to see the movie, the documentary, Lies Well Lives. It's a one hour, 15 minutes, it's a documentary of people between 70 and 103 years old telling stories about their lives. It, I mean, I wept through the entire thing. You, you should go see it. Pretty powerful story. About 3,000 hours collected of stories of what makes a life well lived. So the reaction from these youth was brilliant because they see these people at church, right? But they don't stop to say hello. They don't stop to, to gather and connect. They just see them and pass by. But when I talked to them afterwards, one-on-one, talked to them as a group, some of them said, hey, I've got to talk to my own grandmother or grandfather today as quick as possible. I mean, they realized the depth of life that these people have, the journeys that they've been on, and they started to process the value of what it is, and their minds started to shift. And this is what Paul is trying to say as he joins the voices of all those in the Second Testament. I believe, he says, life, this new life that God has called us to is transformative to who you are. And if you could start to grab this, maybe you would start to think about yourselves entirely different as well inside here. So, if you can see that in the 2,000 years beyond the cross, that life has changed, you may be able to declare, like I do as well, God, you're so good. 
in spite of the suffering that people go through, God, you're so good. And in spite of the hardships that you're going through, God, you're so good. This is not a promise that things are not messed up and that we will not stop sinning. This is that God says, I am with you and you have peace with me and that grace exists for me to work inside you. I took the uh, text a few weeks ago, this particular text, and I printed it out on a piece of tabloid paper that's like two US uh, pages together, put it in the middle, just so that I could do the exercise of marking the text up and seeing where the patterns are. It's a great way to read scripture. You should do the same as well. If you want to study scripture, just print it large, see it on a piece of paper and start to look for patterns inside there. Start to see what the text is saying out to you. When I started to look at this, I saw immediately inside the text that in the first two verses, there's a summary. And then you see in verses three to five, you've got this whole section where he's saying, boasting is okay which we're going to come to in a second because that's the whole message today as well. And then verses 6 to 11, there is this meaning of why Jesus died on the cross, a really great description. But here's the problem. It's very hard to understand why Jesus died on the cross sometimes because we often hear it and we consume it like a smoothie. And when I say smoothie, it's kind of like just a, a red smoothie. You know, and you understand the metaphor? I'll let you process what that means. Why Jesus died on the cross is just kind of like this really large red smoothie, and you're trying to understand what it means, but what are the ingredients? What, it, what actually is the reason, and what brings it all together? Paul is saying you can't decipher this red smoothie unless you know the ingredients. You can't take a smoothie, pour it out, and kind of work out what it is. You can't drink it and say, oh yes, I can tell you exactly what ingredients went into the smoothie. Well, some of you would like to pretend you can, but not everything inside there, unless there were maybe just two items. There's a lot of complex issues inside it. So Paul says, let me, let me break this down for you because you have misunderstood the smoothie. What you kind of think is that God is this bloodthirsty vampire stomping around all the time, angry, like a, a two-year-old having a tantrum saying, I want someone to die. When someone dies, I will be happy. And then Jesus, like a, a Charles Dickens character, kind of comes along and says, please, sir, please, sir, may, may I be the one? And then Father says, oh, yes, you may be the one. And he says, oh, and he goes and he dies on the cross, right? And everybody's like, oh, what a messed up God. What a messed up Jesus. What a messed up Trinity. And we're supposed to be in love with that picture? We're supposed to think the universe is founded on that justice? We're supposed to see that, that God's like, oh, he died on the cross. I feel so much better now. Blood was spilt, yes. And then he wipes himself with a napkin and feels better about this. This is the problem with the smoothie, not understanding ingredients, not reading the text, or ever understanding the complexity of what Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are blending together inside the story. This is what Satan wants us to believe about a very weird image of who God is. But if you take verses six to 11, just that last section in chapter five there, this is what Paul says. This life that we have, peace with God, is because you can boast, you can boast that God, you're so good. You just take the text in Romans 
chapter 6, verse 11. Verse 6, it says this, while we were still weak, while we were still weak, God, you're so good. Verse 6, when the exact time is right, God, you're so good. For the most unlikely, God, you're so good. Verse 8, God loves us. God, you're so good. Verse 9, made right at last. God, you're so good. Verse 10, the open door is confirmed. God, you're so good. Verse 11, so boast in God and Jesus that we are at peace. God, you're so good. They are one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the mystery of God is that the three are one, are also three, and somehow that trinity says, hey, together, we decided together to make this work because we love you, and therefore, we created this new way for you. So now you go be peacemakers. You go be people who actually create the new way. We need people to embrace this way, and the peace exists because of the grace that God does this. So does the cross make any difference 2,000 years on? People are like, does it make any difference at all to us? Well, let's just say that you don't believe in God the Father. Let's say you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, and you don't believe in Jesus being God. I mean, let's say you just throw away the idea of divinity. I don't, I believe. But let's say you don't, right? And you just believe in the guy who believed, who walked around 2,000 years ago in Nazareth. This guy lived, died at the age of 33 by the Roman method of crucifixion, done. Did that human being make any difference to the world that we know today? Without any social media, without any electricity, without the internet, his ideas, his actions, and his life spread across the globe like wildfire. I mean, he awakened inside us a desire to live a different way. Nothing else in history has transformed the world like that human being, Jesus of Nazareth. So I tell you, my friends, it's not because he was a visionary, it's because he is the vision. It's not because he's just an ideas guy, it's because he actually knows our purpose and ideas for our life. It's not because he is a revolutionary, it's because he is the founder and creator of the entire universe. It's not because he's simply a man who died on a Roman cross, it's because he rose from the grave. <laughs> this is what makes the difference. This Jesus calls us to this new life. And men and women all over the world from the dawn of time are being called to be peacemakers. And they are the ones who are called sons and daughters of God. So here's the challenge for us today. God, you're so good. So I ask you question number two, which is our final question for this morning. So I say, what needs to change for you to boast in God? What needs to change for you to boast in God? This is a very difficult question, and it's difficult because we're not supposed to boast about anything, right? We always tell our children to be very humble. We tell people to be humble. We also, the Bible tells us to be humble. But now Paul's like, come on, don't be humble about this. <laughs> boast all you want. Boast three times. In fact, the ESV, which I, I really do love, the English Standard Version, is why I recommend it to people because it's a great translation, good version here. My version actually translates the, the word to boast as rejoice, but it does have a little footnote. It says, you can also say to boast. It's just down at the bottom. 
because they're just kind of scared and embarrassed that we may get carried away a little bit inside there. But at least it tells you the truth that it could be and it should be translated to boast. And I think, as I said in the Daily Walk, Paul's very intentional. He could have chosen another word, but he intentionally says, I want to use the word to boast because I want people to realize that it is a contrast between not boasting about yourself and boasting in who God actually is. If you can do this, you will actually understand that I want you to become a storyteller about Jesus. So he opens this incredible faith ascending moment and he tells you that if you are to become a storyteller about Jesus, you will have every moment in your life to share stories about Jesus. Now here's a secret about great stories. And I, and I think that sometimes we think about what a great story is. There, there are lots of different chords, if you imagine, strings that come together and they make this chord and that's what makes the perfect story. So here are the three things that I think make a really great story. Number one is that a story has to connect your dots. It has to connect your dots. Uh, so the most honest and faithful, the better the story. If you are listening to a story and you're like, I can see myself in that, or I can actually see that story taking place, or I can connect the dots to that story, I can understand that, you actually are starting to believe and connect with that story. It's starting to relate to you. All right, so it's, it's a relevant story inside that. Jesus did this with the parables. Many of the parables were actually real things that took place and he grabbed that story and said, let me pull that into the reality that took place there. Number two, a great story needs to capture your imagination. You know, you have to be able to say, I'm gonna join the storyteller and develop the story and actually continue on the story. So the story is there, and then you're like, I just, I just want to continue the story myself. I, I feel like I'm on a journey with the story. I wonder what's going to happen beyond the story, because you know the story is bigger than just a moment inside there. And number three, the story has to challenge your life. If it doesn't challenge your life, it's just a great idea. If it's a real story, it has to challenge your life. Sometimes it leaves you with a question. Sometimes he wants to ask you more. Sometimes he wants something for you new to do. So Jesus, every time he told a story, he was connecting dots all the time. He was inviting your imagination. And then he was constantly saying, I want to challenge your life to something new inside here. I think the problem is that when I ask the question, what needs to change for you to boast in God, you're thinking, oh, I know what he's saying. What needs to change to become a story teller, AKA, what needs for me to become a person who tells people about Jesus so that they follow Jesus, so they come to church, pay tithes and offerings, volunteer, and become a member. Ah! Is that what he means by a storyteller? Well, the Bible actually doesn't talk about that, you know, because when you, when you read uh, what Jesus says here, Jesus was a storyteller, and he, he really didn't ask them to join the church because um, they were already in the church. Mm, I know, it's a dilemma, right? He was talking mainly to his people in the church saying, hey, there was this. There are occasions, though, that Jesus did tell stories to people who were Gentiles, and that's for another sermon and uh, not for today but then there are consequences and implications of that, and we'll address that another time. But Jesus told stories so that we could connect dots, capture your imagination, and challenge your life. He created this so that we could create space, as Mark Johnson said last week, so that you could actually create intelligent trust in God, so that you have a choice to be made. 
When you decide to follow God, you find boasting in him is normal, comfortable, and enjoyable. And then you're able to declare, God, you're so good. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and because we're going to sing the song, God, you're so good. This is what God is calling us to. 25 years ago, um, when I was a youth pastor in another life, I arrived at this church Friday night and I, I invited the kids uh, to, there was the very first Friday night that I had all the kids kind of come to the church, meet me, and, and so I was, I was making uh, the dish that I know how to cook, it's the uh, one dish, and um, so it's pasta, uh, and a red sauce, and then as much cheese as I could find in the country. So, you know, in England it's not hard uh, because all the cows provided all the cheese that I needed. In fact, they were working all week just to provide all the cheese. So I'm grating all the cheese and this kind of stuff and I'm making this. I think the, the sauce was so thick, it, it was like a, a block that landed on top of the pasta inside there. But that night, um, I prayed to the Spirit of God and, and I asked him and I said, look, I, I just, I need you to help me to understand who these kids are, right? Because I don't know who these kids are. And this is the, the delicacy of it all. I, I don't know what their heart is. I don't know what their story is. I don't know why they're here, whether their mom and dad sent them here, whether they had a fight before they got to church, or whether they're here because this is the last time they're ever gonna go to church ever again. I have no idea what the narrative is, whether they've like sold out their life to Jesus and they're on fire for him. I have no idea. I've heard stories from the elders and heard stories from the church search committee and all this kind of stuff, and, but I don't know. That's when I met uh, Bob, and, I, and I, just a reference, well, the reason why I call it Bob, and I've said this before, but I want to let you know that early on in ministry, I met a guy called Robert, uh, who is Bob in, in, in my life, and, and this, he was a church treasurer, uh, and uh, this little church out in the southwest of, southeast of England, and uh, just he and his wife, uh, I love them, I love them. So, became a good friend, so everybody who is a, a good image, a name of a story, I usually just say Bob, right? So I'm gonna hide the identity of this person here. I'm just gonna call him Bob, so that's who it is. So I met this kid, Bob. Uh, he was 13 years old at the time, super cocky lad. You know, it's most 13 year olds are super cocky. They're like, ah, oh, look at me, man, I'm 13. I know everything there is in the world. Um, and um, I, I just, instinctively knew that the Spirit was telling me that I had to find a way to get underneath the shell of this 13-year-old uh, Bob, right? There was like something that he had, and so that night in the kitchen as we were cleaning up, I, I called, and Bob was helping me, and cracking jokes about that girl, this thing, and whatever was going on. Um, I shared with him my story. My story about how I boast in God and how I can declare that God you're so good and Bob I said man I want you to do the same Bob was just like taken back um, and he did not see that coming he was not happy with that he did not like that he was not expecting this conversation to be that place um, 
he wasn't even happy to be at the program. He was only helping out because I think it was required by his parents or his grandparents or whatever it was. But uh, Bob grew up, um, and uh, I've known him, and I still know him to this day. And uh, man, um, we we became really good friends. Where. He was the kind of guy who, no matter what was going on in his life, he would call me. He would call me like in the middle of the night. And my wife and I, Becky, she's not here today, but she can confirm that, you know, that there were times when Bob would call me in the middle of the night because he'd be smashed out of his head. Like, I mean, just like stranded somewhere. And just suddenly at that moment, that's when three o'clock in the morning, he wants to talk to me about God, right? And so that's when Bob calls, and so then that's when I answer, and that's when we talk about God. Um, I've had to like take Bob and transport him by plane and somewhere and escort him home and all sorts of stuff. Been by his hospital, been in the hospital by his bedside, and worked with Bob his entire life. And today, today I can tell you that Bob is a beautiful man of God. A beautiful man of God. And he declares, God, you're so good. That's Bob. He says it all the time. God, you're so good. I want for you to connect your dots in the pain, in the joy, in the suffering, in the happiness that Pastor Jessica was talking about in the kid's life story in the text that Paul was talking about because before you believe I want you to claim this God you are so good I want you to capture with your imagination that there is no road there is no moment there is no path there is no nothing that can separate you from this God before you believe claim God you are so good and I want to challenge you to come and taste that the Lord is good. For He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the vine. He is the resurrection of the life. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. And He overcame the grave. God, you're so good. You want to find out who this God is and you just don't know where to begin? Fill out a connect card today. Talk to the person right next to you today. Have the courage to claim and sing with us, God, you are so good.